Hello, Fiona. Hello. Thank you for joining us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. How are you doing, just overall, in general? I'm, I'm doing, I think, well. I'm like really trying to embrace that it's winter, it's January, and I'm like, like definitely my most introverted self in the winter. It's like it feels very different from how I was over the summer where I just wanted to be out every night hanging out with people, surrounded by people all the time. So I'm trying to like let myself give in a little bit more to like being cozy at home yeah. <laughs> for more nights than that. But it's hard because there's so many people doing stuff every night that I feel like, oh, am I missing out on stuff or should I be doing more? But Right. Do you also go out quite a few days a week just hanging out with friends? and? Um, I do like in like the when there's more sunshine like really I feel like I've really um feeling the pull of the seasons more this year than ever before like over the summer I feel like I was out almost every night with people and like also was very new to Atlanta and so wanting to make a lot of friends really really quickly and I got to dive into the improv community then so I was like really really hungry for it yeah when did you move here um so I moved to Atlanta most recently in April of 2022, so just this last April. But I did live in Atlanta before, in 2019. I moved here right after I graduated from college and was trying to work like in film production and working as an actor and stuff. Um, but then I moved away in 2020, in like the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so I never really got super settled here at that time. So this is like my Atlanta 2.0. <laughs> Atlanta round two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't know that improv like existed in Atlanta the way that it does. Really? Last time I was here, like I didn't tap into it at all. I just knew about Dad's Garage. I wrote to see some shows, but um, I didn't really get connected to any kind of community like that until this time in Atlanta. Yeah. So how did you get involved with the improv community here? Um, so when I first came to Atlanta, I got on both Bumble and Tinder because I wanted to make friends. I was actually not trying to date anyone at the time, but I like was looking to like match people who were also looking for like adult friends. And one of the first people I matched with was Devin Tully. Um, <laughs> and Devin had like improv or improviser on her profile. And I was like, tell me about that. Where do you do improv? Like, like what is all about this? And she was like, oh yeah, um, I go to these jams every week on Wednesdays. Wednesdays are my favorite day of the week. Um, this is like in May, I think. Yeah, April, May 2022. And um, you should come with me sometime. So the first time I met Devin in person was I went to Roll Call Theater um, for Wednesday Night Jam that was hosted um, by Brett Schultz. And I like was terrified. I didn't even know if I was gonna do improv in front of all these people because it had been like three years since I had done any improv. Like one time I was there and they were like, raise your hand if you're gonna play. Of course, I like rose my hand. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm doing it. And then like we broke up into groups, um, and like did warm ups. And I was like really nervous. Were you? Yeah, I was really nervous because I like wasn't sure if I was gonna be know how to do it. Still, I'd been like a full, like the whole pandemic, I didn't do anything with theater and improv or performing. But even beyond that, I hadn't done improv like since 2019, so it'd been like three years. Um, and like I held myself to a really high standard of improv when I was doing it before. So I was like, what if I'm not good anymore at all? Or what if I'm not as good as I thought I was? Cause I did it like in a, you know, in my community where I'm from and maybe all these people are like so much better than that. Right, it's every community. <laughs> that was my cat. She wanted to join me. <laughs> a little cameo for the cat. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you? Um, oh, yeah. So what was your first impression of the community? Were you immediately like, yes, this is my place? Or were you still like, oh, I don't know? Um, so I've said this to a couple people before, but like joining the improv community or like kind of witnessing it in Atlanta was like the most visceral sense of homecoming I've had like maybe in my entire life. Re- yeah. Homecoming. It, yeah, no, because it would like I I was I was a theater kid. I did theater in high school, um, and I majored in theater in college. And so I was like really immersed in people doing performing arts for like a lot of my young adult life and like my formative years. Yeah. And the pandemic, I was like so isolated and so far removed from anything to do with that. And I thought that you know theater was shut down indefinitely. Um, I kind of came to terms with that in my mind. And I, like, convinced myself, like, I was okay with that. Like, I didn't need it. I could, like, find out everything to do with my time. Yeah. But, like, when, like, I was there, like, around everyone, like, doing, like, all the, like, silly warm-up games and, like, making weird noises and playing zip zaps up and, like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I, I really need this, <laughs> like, really badly. I, like, all these, like, just, like, grown people who, like, want to, like, play games together and be silly and um, play pretend. And I was like... More than, like, any time I've ever gone home to visit my family, I was like, I miss this so much. <laughs> like, can I come here for Thanksgiving next yeah, year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so fun to hear you say that. I'm so glad that it felt like home when you first showed up. Like, Yeah, and, adorable. like, obviously I didn't know anyone in particular that well, and, like, I didn't necessarily expect them to know or, like, particularly welcome me in, but it was just more like being in that environment and knowing that that still exists and is still, like, thriving and people are trying to make that happen. I think it was so like comforting um, because I think I was craving more than anything else for like the previous two or three years since I graduated was a sense of community, a sense of like a collective group of people who are all like trying to do something together. Yeah. Do you love to collaborate with people to make projects? Yeah, definitely. I, I the thing that I love the most about theater is like the collaborative nature of it. I think that I've I learned that I feel like way more motivated and way more productive when I'm committed to something with other people, like when we're doing it as a team. Um, and like we're generating ideas together and brainstorming together and like we're holding each other accountable and keeping each other excited as well. I think it's easy for me to have like ideas or get excited about creative projects on my own, but to actually like keep up with and follow through with them is way harder right unless I like partner with people right and even partnering with people it's like scheduling and having the equipment and Mm -hmm. showing up and doing it you know like if you're filming or whatever you're doing like it is kind of a lot of work yeah so you you have to be dedicated to Mm -hmm. want to finish it (laughs) yeah yeah so what is your favorite part about yourself when you're doing improv like how does it make you feel about yourself and also just how does it, I don't know, I guess, affect your day? I think I feel like, so when I'm doing improv and I feel really good about it, I think I feel like my freest self. And it's not necessarily every single time I do improv, but sometimes I'll get in my head or I'll get too focused on like trying to be good or be entertaining or trying to impress somebody. And then, then it becomes like, you know, it's all like muddled and like not like, <laughs> the pure fun that it really can be. Yeah. But when I would really let myself be truly like spontaneous and loose and unfiltered um, and uh, 
I get into, I think, like a flow state. Like the people talk about, like I don't know, people write books about that, like being in a flow state, like when you're working or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think I feel that most um, obviously when I'm doing improv and when I'm doing it with people that I trust um, or when I like don't worry about the result of it. Like if I'm not worried about like, oh, we're trying to do a good scene or we're trying to make a scene like this if I can just be like truly present to like the moment that's happening right before us and like be entirely reactive to the person right in front of me, then I feel like my freest self and it feels like the closest thing to magic to me is like when you're have the chance to be completely in sync with another person or a group of people and it was entirely unplanned and in a lot of ways unexpected. It feels like something else is happening, like something supernatural or something magic. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Do you feel that way too, where it's like you just almost black out with excitement sometimes? You're just like so present that when you look back, you're like, what actually happened? Like, what scenes was I in? Because I don't fully remember. Yeah. I'm taking in the whole thing. Yeah, and I think that I I love improv, like performing improv, but also watching improv the most when it feels like it's for everyone in the room. Like, it's not just for the people on stage, like, they're, you know, doing it for each other or for themselves, that there's an awareness that we're all doing it for, like, the whole room, and we're all, and it's because whoever was in that room, all the energy that's, like, focused on, like, the people in front of us, the suggestion that we get from the audience, the way that we react to things, like, sometimes you don't even know, like, what the weird thing is that comes out of your mouth on stage until you hear a reaction from the audience, and you're like, oh, yeah, that was the weird thing, and they're like, let's make the scene about that you know yeah. and then suddenly the whole scene's about that thing and it was something that you might have totally overlooked or tried to almost push aside because it was like a mistake or something that you said by accident but then that was like what was supposed to happen you know and then you made yeah. the whole scene about that sometimes those are the most endearing moments is when it was mm-hmm. just kind of like an accident or sometimes you're just so present you just say something random that was on your mind and you're like was that really random to them too yeah. <laughs> was that funny I feel that way almost every time I watch you perform I feel like you always just let yourself like be truly expressive with like whatever you say and I I I, (laughs) laugh so every time it's just like you're just like you're just giving your genuine reactions and you seem like such a real like human person up there reacting and it's not like you're extra like you're you're not making more of any moment than it has to be but you're just being like truly responsive and it always makes me laugh like especially with the things that you say like I think other improvisers sometimes it's like the facial expressions they make or like the things they do with their body um yeah. or whatever but like you in particular it's always like like whatever you say it comes out of your mouth I'm like yeah that's exactly what we were all thinking <laughs> well thank you for saying that I've actively been trying to work on that since the beginning because I'm sure you relate to this too where when you're up there sometimes in front of people you're just self-conscious and you're thinking about other things instead of listening to what's happening and like truly being present so that's been something I've been trying to work on. But do you also struggle with being present or does it come naturally? I think, like, for my whole life, at least, at least my whole, like, I don't know, conscious life, <laughs> I've spent a lot of try- time trying to, I guess, maintain, like, my image in some ways. Like, a lot of us do. Or, like, trying to... Uh, manage other people's perception of me and I've gotten really good at I think 
presenting a version of myself that I think that person in that moment would want the most, or like needs in the like with the per the version of myself that is most needed for that moment, or like would be best suited for that moment. Um, and I think that it, I can sometimes get lost in that, and like spend a lot more of my time in my head thinking about how I'm being perceived or how I'm coming off to people, as opposed to just being really present and candid with people. Yeah. And I think like all of us like learn that, like we learn how to be filter ourselves for the sake of like being cordial and like kind to people. You don't want to be entirely unfiltered all of the time because then you could hurt people by accident, right? Right. But I think there's like a I definitely veer into like maybe overthinking my own self a lot. And so I think improv was one of the things that really helped me from going like over that cliff too much, you know, like helped to kind of bring me back into like how can I cultivate more spontaneity and presence and play back into my life. Um, it's like uninhibited. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're most yourself when you're doing improv? Like I'm sure around your family, you're your most authentic self, but is improv also kind of a place like that for you? I don't know if I would agree my most authentic self around my family. Really? I think it depends on, I think that it's different, you know, like as we age and like become adults around like our parents or our siblings, um, it's like almost we have to like relearn or almost reintroduce ourselves every time, especially if we spend long periods of time away from them. At least that's been my experience. Like really? I've changed so much in the last like five or six years that like when I'm being around my family, especially when I was going went away to college and like go back to visit them, I felt like I was reverting back to like my 16-year-old self every time I was around them. Yeah. And I don't know if I would say my 16-year-old self is my most authentic self or not. It's like almost like those are my learned patterns of behavior around them or like my learned habitual responses to things that they say. Um, but it's not really how I want to be. Yeah, that's honestly a really good way to put it. It's maybe like, maybe that's an authentic version of yourself to the core, like your true like original comfort zone where like the person you are around your family and nobody else is around. But the version that they know now is not the same as that version. And so I feel the same way where sometimes it's like, let me catch you up on my personality now. You know what I mean? Because it's like yeah. different interests and things that I care about. And I feel like I act hopefully a lot different than I did at 16. So I'm like, hi, uh, this is a new person. Yeah. I think when I was first started doing improv um, and just becoming more of an actor performer in general, I got kind of self-conscious about my family in particular being the ones to come and see me because I got nervous about them seeing me as like a a big expressive silly person because that was like so not how I was characterized to them for most of my life. I was like a much more reserved, kind of quiet, um, very serious, put together person, um, to think very seriously and at least that was like, you know, like a very generalized version of myself. Yeah. How I learned how to be around them. And I think I'm like so like silly and so like outrageously dumb sometimes when I'm doing improv that I, it felt like almost like, oh, am I like, but how do I be both of these at the same time? You know, how do I like, how do I have full integration of myself and like feel like I'm not showing some part of myself that these people aren't supposed to see. 
and that became like you know like that came that was me coming in terms also like oh i've been like trying to manage how i'm perceived by people way too much and i just need to like figure out how i want to be all the time where do you think that comes from that desire to kind of have control over what other people think of you is it that you don't know how amazing you are uh, or what is it <laughs> i mean we all we all do it like i fully relate um yeah so it's probably a little different for everybody like the origins of it um maybe very generally at least for me it, it probably comes from um how like I, I had maybe like a parent that was like very reactive, like very, very emotional, very reactive, be very loud in their reactions to things. And I think I got when I was a very small kid, it probably like scared me. Like I didn't like eliciting big reactions, even if they they could maybe be sometimes positive but sometimes negative. And so like almost being like a more subdued or neutral version of myself um, was a way to like ensure more quote-unquote peace or like you know yeah. less rocking the boat um and I think it's also like a a fear of probably gotta be a base fear of like rejection of like doing something and then being like told um oh you shouldn't do that or like oh that's weird or gross of you or like I don't like it when you do that and like feeling like you're not being embraced um no matter what you do I think cause all, and all of us go through that, like whether it's with our family or with our social groups or in school, like we have those moments of like, oh, there's sometimes people aren't going to like, like what I'm doing. And I think my response was like, oh, I'm going to try to figure out how to make everybody like me. <laughs> and, st- and then like I had to like go through a whole different kind of journey of like, when you do that, when you like try to be liked by everyone, you really lose yourself. Like I lost like who like the core of myself was. I'm like, who do I really want to be all the time? And it was like almost, I had to go through a whole other journey of like kind of rediscovering like, who do I want to be? And like, who actually am I? And like, how can I be okay with like, that's not going to be for everyone. And like yeah. not letting that feel like a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Does it, does it genuinely bother you if you find out that someone doesn't like you? It did. Like when I was, uh, especially in school, yeah. I was also, I was very much a perfectionist and like mm. still probably am on some degrees of perfectionist, but, um, <laughs> in school, especially I was like, so, um, directed to be excellent. And I like figured out how I could be excellent in school. I was very good at school. Like, I figured out how to like get good grades and how to get teachers to like me. Um, and so like, that was just like the, the pathways to like quote unquote success that I found. Like I was like, oh, I'm good at these things. I'm going to get teachers to like me. And like sometimes I'll get my peers to like me. And that, that, that's okay if they don't always like me because like they don't give me the things that I need, which is like good grades. So, like, yeah, since I was like really little, I was like very much. Um, and I think probably has a little bit to do with, like, my personality, a um, little bit to do with, like, my, like, upbringing or my childhood, like, all these different, like, factors that we, um, like, have that create ourselves. I think um, there'd also be, like, times where I find, like, I was, like, pretty well received by a lot of people just because, like, I'm, like, um, I look like a, like, a, a, like a likable person, I guess, to people on the face value. And then there'd be instances where, like, people would rub me the wrong way, but then I would, like, politeness culture would, like, get in the way of me feeling like I could, like, really speak my mind freely around them. There's, like, that line of, like, dancing, like, oh, my 
if I like tell them what I really think about what they're saying or how they're being, or if I brush them off, is that me being like unkind or is that me being like a bad person you know yeah (laughs) no it's all these things go through my head as well and I feel the same way where it's like I've spent so much time trying to make sure that everybody else is comfortable and happy in the conversation that sometimes I forget that it's I'm also in the conversation too and like I also have boundaries and things you know but like I just kind of brush off my own preferences in order to make them more comfortable and I'm like that's also not a good line to walk either because you're not being truly authentic with that person if you're agreeing with what they say when you don't agree, you know? So, like, that's also another form of respect for them is giving them your honest feedback. Yeah, I think that's probably something that, especially people who are socialized as girls um, or women in their life growing up, especially, are, like, socialized to make other people comfortable. Um, you know, it's something that I spent a lot, have spent a lot of time and energy on is like being really focused and tuning into like how anyone else in the room is feeling and doing whatever I can to make sure everyone's feeling like good or in harmony or like trying to like, you know, uh, uh, solve any crises that other people are going on. And I'm not at all at that point focused on like what I'm feeling or what's my body telling me about these people or like, do I want to be in this room at all? Right. 100% and I know that you we I think we've actually talked about this before <laughs> but yeah I 100% agree it's it's hard though when you really want people to <laughs> people to feel comfortable you know it's just it genuinely it generally pains me to see an awkward conversation happen and I mean the <laughs> amount of times that I've laughed off like someone else's joke that was not even a joke that I would normally laugh at, but just because it was like a one-on-one conversation. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not like, what am I going to do? Not laugh, you know? So, or like, I'm sure you've had the same thing happen with like men making sexual comments to you in conversation. And you're like, ah, good one. Um, anyways, you know, it's just like awkward, but in that moment, I'm not going to like confront them about this bigger, deeper issue going on. So it's just one of those, one of those things. Yeah. I think it's also related to, um, like performance um, and improv specifically, in that it's gen like it's you know generally characterized that like more often men or like masculine people can like dominate the stage or bulldoze in scenes and like feel way less um, concerned about doing that. Like they're like they'll just like go in and like oh they have an idea they want to bring that idea to stage like no matter what's going on, versus like people. Um, I think it's just generally characterized that women or femmes um, in improv have a harder time, like, taking control of scenes or feeling like they should or feel like that they can because, like, the, the, there is that element of, like, trying to be concerned about the whole group all the time. You know, like, it's, like, a much more of a, a groupthink mindset, trying to, like, take care of, like, does everyone feel like they're being included and everyone getting, like, their moment or their time um, as opposed to, like, what do I want to do? What's my time? What, what am I doing? What's my idea? Like, bring it to stage. And I think that there's definitely, like, a balance there. It's, like, not one or the other, obviously. You know, like, I, I think every improviser needs both skills, for sure. Um, but that being said, I think more often, like, women and femme improvisers need, like, the push to be, like, you have your idea, just, like, do it. Like, don't, like, wait to, like, look for permission for somebody, like, to nod at you and be, like, yeah, like, whatever you're thinking, do it. Like, they're not going to know. They're not even going to be, like, looking at you most of the time. Like, yeah. sometimes you just have to, like, get in there and bring, like, the idea that you have. Because I think I've had so many conversations with people, especially after jams, um, where, like, 
and it's usually like other women improvisers that are like, man, I had this idea that like I really want to do, but then like before I did it, somebody else went on and did something else, and I feel like the thing I was gonna do was better. And I'm like, yeah, it probably was. And like that, like that five seconds you took to like to hesitate to consider, oh, is this good for everybody else if I do this? Meant that window was lost, you know? Right. To like jump in and like make it happen. Right. And I've had that happen too before, where you're about to go and you're like, oh, oh, never mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you have to really kind of do it right when you think about it. And if you overthink it, then it's like if you're if you're halfway through the scene in your head of what this like uh, idea like oh, scene. It's play yeah, out. yeah. It's already way too late, and I think about it, too, uh, in, like, in the fact that, like, the audience also wants a good show. So if you think your scene is going to be funny, then jump in immediately, because it's like, why wait when you have the opportunity to do something that you think is funny? Like, that's important. <laughs> I think also I will catch myself um, trying to, like, play out, like, two or three steps. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this, and then maybe this or this will happen. But, like, as soon as I do that, then I'm like, oh, it's already, like, the idea's gone. Because, like, I think for me, there's, like, definitely improv where, like, you can... I was just talking about this the other day with somebody. I feel like, for me, I'm either doing improv that is truly spontaneous and, like, in the moment. Like, everything is unfolding. It's unfolding, like, really for the first time ever. And we're all kind of discovering it together. And nobody's really over-directing it in one way. Or... It's like a scene I've seen before, and we're all just like doing the idea of this kind of scene, and like we're kind of filling in like the holes that like we know are missing because we've seen it before. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. oh, I've seen the scene where somebody like, like starts working on a farm, and somebody gets on their hands and knees in a cow, and like somebody starts milking them, and then the cow either like says moo or they like talk like a human, and then the things are either about like. The humans with the animals that don't talk, or the scenes about the humans and the animals that talk. <laughs> like, I've seen that scene, I think, like a hundred times. You know what I mean? And like, um, <laughs> so many cows, no more cows. <laughs> oh my gosh. One time I was at a gym. I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna say people my name, I hope that's fine. Yeah. One time I was at a gym at Dynamic El Dorado, and um, it was. Uh, Shelly Greenberg's first improv jam ever. And Shelly Greenberg's a really amazing comic here in Atlanta. She's a comedian. Um, but she was doing improv with us for like one of the first times ever. And like somebody like started seeing, like somebody got on stage and they're like working at like a dairy farm, like two two like uh, farmers talking about being on a dairy farm. And Shelly was like off stage with me, like to the right. Like I like kinda like saw like Shelly like like kinda like tense or like they get ready to like do something and I like, like turn over and whisper in her ear, I'm like, you don't have to be the cow. And she, like, turns and looks at me, and she's, like, like, looks at me, like, like, what are you talking about? But also, like, how did you know that I was going to do that? <laughs> like, I've seen this movie. <laughs> I've seen this so many times. And then instead, like, um, like, a minute later, she come on, like, as a totally different character, like, that, like, works as, like, the manager of the farm, like, the, like, the stepmother of the farm who actually owns it. And it ends up being, like, a hilarious scene. I might be totally missing out what the scene is about. But anyway, <laughs> the, because Shelly didn't, wasn't the cow... She got, she like thought of her like second or third idea instead and like it was a much better scene. But like I've seen so many times where like women or femmes like hear references to farms or like cows and like, well, I'm gonna go be the cow on stage now. <laughs> I'm like, what? why is this cat happening? <laughs> oh my God, I'm sorry I'm yelling at this microphone. No, 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 <laughs> I can feel your passion <laughs> for this talk. <laughs> like that's so funny. 
funny. Have you seen, honestly, a lot of the same scenes? Like, when are you ever surprised by something new where you're like, I haven't seen this dynamic before? But I, it's more rare, unfortunately. But, I mean, I don't know if it's unfortunately. So, like, at JMs in particular, um, every, there's a lot of people that are there doing it for the very first time. So there's an element of, like, newness there. Um, and sometimes, I think, if somebody, like, hasn't seen improv at all, or, like, hasn't, like, isn't, and is doing improv for the first time, sometimes it's, like, some of the best improv because they don't have those, like, preconceived ideas of what is allowed in an improv scene right. or what is supposed to happen in an improv scene or, like, there's supposed to be certain beats or certain kinds of characters. Um, obviously, it's, like, a generalization. Sometimes, like, people do improv for the first time and they're, like, really bad and that's okay also. Like, you sometimes you have to Relatable. be... Relatable. <laughs> you're not really bad. Sometimes you do have to be really bad at things before you get better, which is completely fine that's like what a jam is for yeah um but like um there's like i think a lot of times i don't even see just a jam sometimes like in shows that i go pay to go see like not in specifically in atlanta only like anywhere i've seen improv i've seen improv like in la i've seen improv in new york sometimes i'll like see a show and i'm like hmm, i've seen this before not this exact scene not these exact characters but i've seen this idea before mm-hmm and I think it's like they can do it really well, but it feels not like that magic moment. It's not. It's not like it doesn't feel like that. Like, oh, this is happening right here only, and this is all for us right now. It feels like kind of like a little bit more like we're gonna fall back on, um, I don't know, like some of our like crutches as an improviser. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of the right word. Like, yeah, things that you feel comfortable falling back on. It's like a comfortable character for you it's a yeah. scenario that's I'm not gonna bring back boundaries. this funny voice character that i bring back you know i'm gonna do this funny voice that i know how to do and it lands on people yeah and like sometimes that's fine sometimes at the end of the day like we're just trying to make people laugh and like that's not like a, a very noble effort like sometimes people just want to come and laugh at things and i don't think there's anything wrong with that yeah um i won't even say it's like bad but i think like improv that gets me like really like wide-eyed and like excited and like like want to like tell people about is when it's like people were like in the zone in sync and like truly letting it happen together and nobody was trying to like control it everyone was like truly just present and reactive and like letting it happen like right before them yeah i don't know if there's like a way you can really teach that like i mean there's like certain games you can play that are about group think and cultivating group mind Mm -hmm. um and like playing games where like you have to do things in sync, but nobody's, like, supposed to be leading. So you can, like, practice that. And, like, obviously just, like, practice doing improv with the same group of people a lot. But, I don't know. Sometimes I think you can't always, like, capture it for very long. Sometimes you just have to kind of, like, like almost, like, I feel like I'll catch it, like, sometimes like when I'm in a scene and I'm, like, I think it's happening. And then you can't, like, focus on it at all. You can't, like, be thinking about, this is happening, it's happening. Because then all of a sudden, like, it's not. Like, then you're thinking about being perceived again. <laughs> right, right. Oh, God. Not thinking about being perceived again. <laughs> Dude, being insecure and, like, being in your head is so exhausting. I'm like, I don't have the energy to be insecure anymore, genuinely. <laughs> like, I'm tired. <laughs> so what is something that you do get maybe tense or nervous about when it comes to performing? Or do you have an area where you feel that it's not your strong suit? Um... So I think like the first thing I think of really obviously is like anytime I feel either compelled to or I'm like being called into play like an overtly sexualized character. 
Okay. Like, I, it's like a really kind of like a always been like a little bit of an uncomfortable place for me. Not because like even like when I watch like people be sexualized characters, it doesn't bother me. But I think there's some part of my unconscious mind that still associates um, um, being like sexy with being as like not funny. Like okay. you can either be like you can either be sexy or you can be funny. And I think I like decided a, a while ago like I want to be funny. <laughs> I want um, people to be Fiona. Funny. I think you're both. <laughs> <laughs> you are in fact both. <laughs> So it's possible. It's <laughs> funny that you say that because to me, being funny is so sexy. Like no matter what you look like, it's so sexy. That's true. That's true. Okay. Yeah, I think that there was like, um, I don't know, like it, it's almost like I think because when I start thinking about trying to be like a sexy character, mm-hmm. um, the goal then becomes again how are people perceiving me like oh, I I got it. it's like a goal becomes about i need to be perceived as like alluring or, or attractive as yeah. opposed to like framing it as like what am i want out of the scene or like what am i doing as this character or like what am i doing with this other character totally um i think that there are like times that i've probably been like i don't know like uh like um, seductive in a scene without like that being like the goal but because it was about something else for me like it became it was like about like oh I really want this thing from this character like um I really want to win this character over on my side and convince them of like whatever I'm doing over on my side of the stage and yeah. like, that was just like one of the, the tactics that, that came out of it you know yeah totally and like you said being sexualized on stage especially when it wasn't your idea to me it just feels like if it's on my own terms and I want to act that way or like it was my character idea then like it's fun for me but if somebody else puts that on you to me it does kind of feel like they tie your arms behind your back in a way where it's like you're not going to be funny you're not going to do anything crazy you're just going to stand there and be the hot one yeah which is boring yeah I think it is boring right or like I think sometimes it makes me want to like like make that the the game where like someone's like oh yeah like hot girl over there is like looking so cool and then just to start doing things like making everything like super extra and like but like going over the edge until it like turns into gross you know yeah like like I'm like smoking a cigarette like suddenly I'm like 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 coughing up mucus but I'm like I'm still like the hot person You know what I mean? Like doing like, oh like, like so they're gonna characterize me as the hot person. So like no matter, and that's like the thing that we decided. So no, no, no matter what I'm doing, even it's like disgusting, I still, still have to like react to it. Like it's like a hot person. <laughs> I love that. That kind of reminds me of Dee from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, because like, yeah. she in real life is obviously a super very attractive woman. No mm-hmm. question about that. But in the show, <laughs> she's not supposed to be sexy. Yeah. And so they have her do things sometimes that are, you know, if they were done by someone not being sarcastic about it, it would be hot. But yeah. it's like the way she's doing it, she's making it like so cringe or something. I don't even know, but I love that kind of humor. Yeah, that whole show is like cringe humor. <laughs> <laughs> so what is like your favorite tool in your arsenal? What is like... Not necessarily something you fall back on, but something that you love to do and you know you're good at it. Ooh. Okay, let me think. 
I really love being like as physical as I can on stage because I feel like in real life I'm not as expressive of my body like I just am a pretty like subdued person physically most of the time like I'm either like going 110 or like I'm at like a four you know <laughs> right in terms right. of like expressiveness um so, like I really love establishing like a physical environment that like I can play with or like the other or like like being given the time to craft a physical environment that other people can actually like see and like play with with me or like having like a physical activity like kind of ground me in like an action um because i one of my teachers um taught me how taught, like my whole troop how to be expressive with the physical action so like sometimes you're not just like um like sweeping but like the way that you're sweeping like says a lot so you can be sweeping like you can be sweeping sad you can be sweeping like pissed off you can be sweeping like a lot of different ways you know yeah yeah i, I was gonna ask you too when you're doing physical work because you do a lot of object work on stage what it, how do you visualize it in your head do you imagine that you're actually doing that thing or like imagine you're like in your kitchen like opening your fridge or something do you in your head think about that happening or on stage are you just so is it so muscle memory for you at this point that you're not really thinking about it you're just kind of doing the object work um i think it depends on the activity but most of the time i need to start from a place of like i'm seeing it in front of me it's like if i'm like doing like the fridge i need to like imagine like i'm opening the fridge door and i'm like, looking in the fridge and like what do i see in the fridge and like deciding what the shelves are and like grabbing something and like closing the fridge and like pulling something else and I think um, I got to take a whole like semester long course on like just physicality and environment for improv when I was in school. And one of the things that I learned is that most of the time, most people move uh, in improv way faster uh, than they think they are. Oh. And like way, like rush through most movement of things than you actually would if the objects really were there because Obviously, when you're pantomiming, the thing has weight. And, like, you can, like, move super, super fast, and you think that, like, to indicate, like, you know, that you're, like, got a good idea, or, like, you're really emotional about something, you need to be moving really, really quickly. But when you move so fast, like, nobody else can see what you're even doing. And so I think that it's partially, like, letting me actually see what I'm doing, but also, I feel like most of the time, do things way slower than, like, my instincts on you want me to so again, yeah. it's like I almost feel like I'm moving in slow motion a lot of times but that's kind of more um closer to like how we actually move it looks better because you, you really give the audience a chance to like really see the thing that you're building right and I think that also comes with being comfortable taking up space on stage oh yeah which is such a beginner thing you know where you're like let me get on and off as quickly as possible mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah to calm down talk slower most people talk quickly I know I do when I'm nervous and slow down your actions because like if you're in your fridge in your house you're not going to be opening the fridge quickly there's no reason to do that unless you're like running out the door so you shouldn't be doing that on stage if it's like a calm moment and you're in a kitchen like take your time but you know time moves so quickly on stage or so slowly i guess where you're like man did that go on for an hour and they were like it was four minutes and you're like oh okay <laughs> no way so what is a goal that you have for yourself upcoming, just like in life in general? Like what's something you're looking forward to working on? Um, like I think there's a few different things. 
Um, I really was kind of blown away by the um, reception to the musical improv classes that Theodora Hobson and I like taught this summer. And you know, a lot of people were really excited about it and um, like, want to do more of it. So I'm hoping that this year that we're going to do a couple of more either classes or workshops for musical improv. Um, and that I really do want to um, bring some kind of musical improv show to Atlanta this year. I don't have like anything really super outlined yet. But, like it's like kind of like a idea that's been forming in my mind for a while. Um, it's tough because like an improv, a musical improv show is like one that really does like need rehearsal. <laughs> like you need to like, especially like the one one that I'm imagining. Like I want to do like a full, like two act improvised musical, and that oh requires my like kind of like a structure and like a format and like rehearsals. So it's kind of a lot to ask people um, to take the time to do that. Like when we're all doing this just out of like you know, the love of it. Like, right. there's not really any kind of guarantee we're going to get paid for the labor that we put into it, but um, I think that it will happen this year. But I also am learning to, like, embrace, like I said at the beginning, um, kind of the cycles of the year more and try to be, like, so, like, winter is, like, when I want to, like, hibernate and, like, ruminate and reflect and write and, like, idea generate, but, like, mm-hmm. I think I know that, like, it's more, like, when the spring comes around, it's, like, when I want to, like, act on things more and like bring things into the world more so your internal clock runs on seasons yeah i think i learned that this year like really intensely i didn't know that's um what it was but i think that when i try to like resist it it's when i'm like oh i might be depressed you know it's like when it's like when i try to resist it and and like i don't know i mean maybe like i think that i do struggle a little bit with seasonal depression like a lot of us do but i think it's also like my body's calling for just a lot more rest this time of the year, and I feel like not get caught up in like thinking about how maybe not everybody's like that. Maybe it's just me, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. I like that though. Where it's you're just fully embracing it. Like if your body, if if you like mentally, physically need a rest, you're not gonna perform your best at whatever you're doing. Like give yourself the time to take a break, and it's a perfect time of year to do that. Or it was. We're kind of out of it now, or getting out of it. But like late November, December, early January, it's just such like a, everybody's at home, everybody's chilling, the weather sucks, like it's just very calm. I think it can just feel like so much pressure as um, like an artist or as a, a person trying to work in the performing arts to like always be generating, like there's like this perception, like especially with social media and Instagram and TikTok that people are always making things, people are making stuff all of the time and like it feels like in yeah. Paris and like am I not making enough should I be making more things do you feel the need to <laughs> feed the machine right you know yeah <laughs> sometimes I'm like oh my gosh and then other times I'm like maybe I don't want to do anything <laughs> you know? yeah it, matter of fact <laughs> matter of fact I'm gonna do nothing <laughs> in protest in protest in protest I'm going to not make anything ever again <laughs> <laughs> so when you're doing your artistic stuff or anything where it's just it's like your own artistic expression self-creation whether that's music or poetry or whatever you do are you more of a night owl when it comes to that stuff or are you an early riser and you like to get that stuff done um I like I think I've always been a night owl like I can I can definitely learn how to be like a morning person if I get on that that, that schedule of like going to bed at like nine and like waking up oh, at God. like six I've like done that before but I also like 
I get like very, I get spikes of energy, I think the most, like around like noon, like noon, afternoon. Really? Um, and then spike of energy again at like 9 p.m. Like those are like my big peaks of like when I have like the brightest amount of energy. So it's never really been the morning for me. It's always been like, oh, I want to sleep in, be in my bed. But sometimes like a lot of ideas come out, like if I let myself stay in bed and not go on my phone. Like if I can just like lay in bed and you're like be meditating or thinking about like my dreams that I had or like if I grab my journal and like, start writing about like your dreams I remember or like thoughts that are like circulating. Sometimes like a lot of ideas will come for me in that space. Um, I learned that practice from one of my professors in college. Uh, I took a, a solo performance class with her and one of the things that we were asked to do was morning pages. Um, which is taken from this book called The Artist Way by Julia Cameron. Um, and it's about like cultivating um, like your creativity, like how to re-cultivate and regrow your creativity, your connection to your own creative mm -hmm. spirit. And one of the things that like it's part of that process is like every day doing morning pages, which is like the, when, as soon as you wake up, the first thing that you do, like before you go to your phone, before like you open the curtains, if you can manage before you go to the bathroom, like grab your, that, grab pen and paper, like physical pen and paper and write. And like just stream of consciousness, nonstop write until you like fill up like three pages of like stuff. And it can be anything. It can be like, you could just be like getting junk out of the way. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't like writing. I hate this. I want to go back to sleep all the way to like, Maybe like you get through that and like you start writing about like how you're actually feeling or like what you dreamed about. Um, and they did that process like every day, or I think it was like five out of seven days for like three or four months. Um, and that's how I generated like most of the content for my, my last solo show. Like I was like kind of, I would like hone in on like a topic mm -hmm. in that space. Like it's like stories would come out. Like, and like a lot of like memories would come up that I hadn't really? thought about in a while. Um, and so, in some ways, like, like I said, the morning is like where like, a lot of kind of idea generating can come from. But I feel like when I want like one more focused work, like I'm like, oh, I have a plan and I'm going to do it. It's kind of usually at, the, at night time for me. I like that. Because yeah. you use them both for each other. Like it, the stuff you did in the morning is going to help you with your stuff you're doing at night and vice yeah. versa. So it's really great. It's like a good way to tap into your, well, into your creative potential, but also into your own memories. Because if you're writing them down, it's cool to, to remember your dreams. And then also you can pull from that later. Because they say that if you write something down, you're like 10 times more likely to remember it. Yeah. And that's why I'm a big, um, I love to-do lists. And I like, I like to write my to-do lists, specifically write them. Because it helps me remember it. Whereas if I type it on my iPad, I won't remember really. Yeah. Yeah, those. those. I think it's the same thing for us in our brains. So did you have, or do you have a lot of dreams? Yeah, I, maybe not every single night, but like, probably like four out of seven nights I'll remember my dreams. It really depends on, it's usually if I am able to wake up naturally, like if I wake up to a, an alarm, I'm less likely to remember my dreams, um, but like guaranteed remembering my dreams is if I wake up like after like a few hours and then I go back to sleep and it's like in the second sleep, I'll have a lot of dreams. Like really sure. do you have or like when you wake up in the morning do you remember having multiple dreams because i feel yeah. like i usually when i wake up it's only i only remember one um sometimes i'll remember multiple it'll be like um 
like I remember I was in this kind of world and then like later I was like somewhere else and then something else. like it, so like it, it's almost like it's like a continuous stream but like it, like there's like clear like ends to like some parts I'm like on this dream I, I had a dream where I was like, on a train and like I was moving really quickly with like, my whole family and like I sense of like we didn't know where we were going I mean we should get off the train and then I had another dream where like I was like in a supermarket or whatever and like it would be like I know I had both those dreams and like there was like an end to one and like then I was somewhere else. What? That sense. That's wild and then I had to an me. End to that dream and I was somewhere else. Like I like remember like. Is there like a blackness in between? It's kind of, sometimes it, like it's almost like they, they mesh together and sometimes it's like maybe I just don't remember like how I got from one place to the next. So like in a sense like something like call that one dream, but like for me it's like kind of like, more distinctly like there were like three or four like little storylines that happened. That's so cool that you remember. I yeah. can barely remember the one. <laughs> well, I, over the pandemic, I spent a lot of time dream journaling. We're like really focused on like before I like went to sleep. I was like, I want to remember my dreams. I want to remember my dreams, and like like would think about that a lot. Um, so I'm also doing like a lot of kind of I guess more like inner work, like a lot of self reflection over the pandemic, trying to figure a lot of stuff out <laughs> about myself yeah. in the world. And I I kept getting the sense and like the message from people that like. I should pay attention to my dreams because your dreams is where your unconscious and your subconscious is processing stuff and where your consciousness can make contact with the, the unconscious like more easily. Like you can like like that inner sense of knowing can like come up more in your dreams because like they're like it's just manifesting as like little archetypes or as characters in your life or like representative things. But like sometimes we can't even like always understand what our subconscious is trying to tell us because like we have so many like filters on. Yeah. Um, but like the more I did it, the better I got at remembering my dreams and the better I got at recognizing patterns. And so like I might not know like what one dream about uh, my mom sitting outside of our house means, but like over a course of like a couple of months, I kind of got the sense of like what the idea of my mom was in my subconscious because the way that she as a character showed up and it doesn't necessarily mean like it's, it's my actual mom like sometimes it's like but me when I think about her in real life but it's also a little bit about like what is like my own kind of like inner mother like saying or doing to me like how do how am I like mothering myself is kind of like what that kind of version of my mom will be telling me too yeah because you can't you can only do so much in terms of like trying to figure out what those things are that especially if you do like a lot of Mm self-sabotage like those things are good to know like why am I doing this like why is and sometimes things like goals that you have are really triggering to you too and you Mm -hmm. don't even realize it for whatever reason so that's really interesting okay you're turning me on to this I I really need to do this podcast just about dreams yeah (laughs) Why does that sound so fun? <laughs> Dreams and black holes to me are just like the two things I cannot wrap my brain around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Like, oh, man. Because I think that um, also getting, I was getting like braver with like sharing dreams I would have with other people. So something I was like in practice of doing, but I would, I would share them with the person I was dating at the time or like I would call people and tell people about dreams I had, which is not something I did before. Like I was kind of embarrassed to do that because I was always had this sense that like dreams were like kind of fluffy nonsense was kind of like the impression I got because it's also I think what like our more masculine dominated world thinks like of like stuff like that because dreams are 
very much related to the world of the unconscious and like intuition and like inner knowing which is like that kind of amorphous soft knowledge that you can't really put down as like absolutely true or absolutely not true um so it's like less respected as a, in, in a way in like a patriarchal world like, yeah. like wants like cut and dry like what are the facts you know yeah um it's just like, oh, yeah, all that's nonsense. But then, like, as I, like, I got, I got like, a sense of, like, oh, no, there's, like, stuff here I need to, like, figure out. And, like, there's, yeah. like, there's whole cultures that, like, have dedicated a whole role in their society to, like, being the dream interpreter. I think that this is, like, something we should pay attention to, you know? <laughs> we should take these guys seriously. <laughs> They're onto something. <laughs> that is so interesting. Because I've been trying to do that more, too. Like, get in tune more with my body and just make more sense of my emotions because sometimes I feel like the way my body feels and the way my mind feels are not in sync with each other Mm -hmm. and I don't know why but it's first of all not fully satisfying to exist that way but also I think it holds me back from like trying new things and stuff like that yeah I think I've self-reflected a lot Um, I've been a journaler for now like a few years I didn't I used to hate writing or journaling at all like especially as a, a kid or a teenager it wasn't until I got to college and I majored in theater where I was required to spend a lot of time writing personal statements and writing, keeping journals and, like, doing all this stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is helpful for me. Yeah. Um, Do you like to be alone? Like, does it bother you to not be with people all the time? Oh, it, it goes back and forth. I think I really like being alone sometimes. Like, I think solitude is really important for me and my ability to remember... Like, who am I outside of trying to be anyone else for anyone else? Um, but I do think I get, like, really almost addicted to being around people. Like, it, being around people feels really good, like, a lot of the times. Like, it feels like there's energy and there's exciting things. Like, we're doing stuff. Um, that's why I like living with my brothers because even if we're not, like, have all of our attention on each other the whole time, it's nice just to have, like, other people in the house sometimes. Like... Yeah. Not necessarily responsible for, but, like, we all are, like, there for each other if we need each other. Yeah, you can feel that they're there even if you're not hanging out all the time. Yeah. Did you live with people during COVID? Um, I live, so, I moved around a lot during the pandemic. Um, I lived here to start in 2019, and then I helped my parents move, um, from Georgia back to Orlando, Florida, where we're from. And that was in 2020. And I, so in that house, I lived with both my parents, my older sister, her husband, her two kids at the time, um, my other brother, and then my other sister would like come and visit back and forth because um, my dad was pretty sick back then. And like a very, very busy, big household. Mm-hmm. Then I got very overwhelmed being in that space for a while. So then I moved um, back up here for a little bit to Georgia. And then I moved in with my... Um, partner at the time uh, up in Baltimore, Maryland. And oh, like, that's far. I know, it was far. Jeez. But then I stayed up there for like a year and a half. Um, then we broke up and then I came back here. Wow, how do you like Baltimore? I don't really know anything about Baltimore. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Maryland was like very much um, way more um, like COVID cautious so like oh, um, than like down here in Georgia or Florida so like there are a lot of like mass mandates a lot of social events really happening it's kind of just like kind of going to work and like coming home and I found a way to like have a good time I was like doing a lot of reading um doing a lot of yoga like journaling watching cool tv shows um 
going to the park. Just like very different, very different life than what I'm living right now. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I'm having a good time right now. Yeah. I feel like things are just great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Knock on wood. I don't want to jinx anything, but life is so fun right now. Yeah. I, there's like, I think an energy of like, I don't know, like I'm like, maybe like we're all just like kind of delusional and the improv community is not as cool as we think it is at all. (laughs) But like, I really love a lot of these people and like being around them and just like, that we all like want to spend time with each other. And that's, like, the, that's it. Like, we don't really need anything from each other. And, like, we want to, like, hang out together. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, like, a cool place to be. <laughs> no, you're, like, there's no motive. I just like you. Like, I, <laughs> I just want to hang out with you and do nothing together. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I think it's largely the community. It's just giving me, like, a positive, like, outlook. Yeah, it's, like, having access to play again. I think there was, like, I didn't really have access to play for all the pandemic. And, like, even a little bit before that, it felt like I was, like, trying to be a serious adult for the first time and like <laughs> I don't know and I really missed improv um and I think finding access to play is really really important for everyone and it looks I think it looks different for each person who like playing different ways but I think there's something about the people who keep coming back to the improv jams or like find a way to like become a regular performer or like make teams or like get involved with one of the main theaters here like they're doing it because that is like the kind of play they really love yes yeah. it's, it's inherently collaborative and it's so exciting we keep finding more people that want to do it <laughs> you know yes i'm always recruiting people yeah. <laughs> everywhere you go i'm like have you heard about this jam that we do on yeah. wednesdays yeah. um and i've had people that come and just enjoy watching like they have no interest in doing improv no interest in acting but it's just the people that they think are really great. And I've also seen that at KTL, too, if you've ever done Kick the Ladder. I haven't gone yet, but I want to this year. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to improv, and a lot of the community overlaps. And we've had people come before that aren't regulars, that are maybe like somebody's friend from out of town or something that just decided to come to KTL. And they're like, this is the coolest community I've ever seen. Like, the collaboration... And just like the friendly attitude, like everybody there is nice. It's just, it shocks some people. They're like, I didn't know this existed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that um, there's a lot of like adult um, social groups or like communities where it feels like more like you have to like almost earn people's like affection or like um, interest even. Like you have to do something to like captivate their attention. Which, to be fair, I think even just showing up to the jam and getting on stage at all, even if you, like, are really bad and don't know what you're doing, is that thing. Like, you're just, like, already kind of, like, um, win everybody over, but it's just like you show up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I love that it's good for everybody. Like, everybody has their own reason for going. Everybody gets out of it what they need, and it's just great. We love it. Do. I can't we believe do. you got here or you came back for the second time in April 2022 because I didn't start coming until June but it seems like everybody loves you I thought you'd been a regular for like minimum a year so that's wild everyone keeps saying that I think I was in a place where like um it was a really like a really to be honest a very vulnerable place when I first came to Atlanta because I just had a very messy end to a relationship um it was really important to me and I was feeling very lost in like where I was in life in general um and I think it was like so 
completely blown away and overjoyed and like feeling high from being around all these people that wanted to do improv and be silly and play and make theater together. And I was like, also, that was my introduction to like being in Georgia, coming from Maryland. So like the whole world in Georgia was like completely open back up, like basically like the pandemic had never happened. Yeah. And so it was like a combination of a little bit of a like culture shock and also of like, I'm so excited that these people exist and that I can be here. And oh my God, I'm so happy. <laughs> and I think like the, that and like combined with me being like just like completely open hearted when I first got here because I was just so, I feel like, like very raw. People were like really drawn to that. Um, so that's kind of what I accredit it to a little bit. And like I've since like had to like kind of draw back a lot like for myself to do like now I gotta like sort through everything that happened and like figure, figure out what's going on with me yeah um but I, I feel so like grateful to everyone who was willing to just like welcome me here like without question you know it feels yeah. like a pretty surreal I think still yeah and now you're so involved I feel like you have shows going on every weekend <laughs> like what teams are you on again <laughs> are you um, on like three teams <laughs> Uh, right now I'm on Unhinged, mm-hmm. which is the team that Cole Wadsworth organized, and um, we do shows a lot of Saturdays at Dynamic El Dorado, and I produce a show called Together Again, which is the Improvised Family Reunion show, and I do that once a month at Dynamic El Dorado. That's kind of all the teams right now. I'll do, I've done a couple of one-off shows that people have done, like there's an improv versus stand-up show. And your musical class. I took and one I, of the workshops, and then didn't mm-hmm. you, it, it was a four-class Pack. Yeah, and yeah. a four-class series that Theodore and I taught together. Yeah, so that's awesome. I loved your workshop, too. I mean, obviously, um, I'm not a singer, but I had so much fun. And it was a really great turnout, too. Yeah, we've had, like, most of the classes get very close to filling up, which is very, really cool. I, like, I had a sense, like, going to the jams over the summer, like, I think people want to do musical improv because a couple of times that, like, Theodore would show up with her keyboard, um, people would, like we're like kind of like jumping and like trying to like sing in scenes and stuff yeah um but nobody that i know of is like teaching musical improv classes in town um, or if they did they did it hasn't been for a long time and so i like really just wanted to share like kind of like the toolbox kit that i got from the class that i took with everybody else like i was never trying to be like i'm the expert in this and like you could all learn from me. It's yeah. kind of like, these are like tricks I learned of how to like get better at this. And I want everyone to know about it because you can all do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I love that you're doing that. Cause like you said, I don't really see that kind of class offered very often, especially not in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, here and there, there'll be like a one-off class. Yeah. But, um, and one of my professors, my, like my main improv teacher back in Orlando, he taught like a full semester long course on just musical improv. So like I got to take that back class with him, and I got to take a class at Sack Comedy Lab in Orlando, which is like the improv equivalent to Dad's, but in Orlando. Gotcha. And they had a like a a, a full day workshop with um, Rick and Laura Hall, which are like the two, which who she Laura Hall is like the musical accompanist from Whose Line It Is Anyway. Oh yeah um, yeah yeah. So she was teaching a workshop there. That I had to take, and I remember my main teacher david charles who is like my professor at rollins he always said that if like you really want to be like kind of make it in improv having musical improv as like one of your skill sets is like a way to kind of fast track you through any ensemble so like if you join any kind of improv theater whether it's 
hear dads or a village, or if you go to some place in LA, like a red, upright citizens brigade, or you go to Chicago and you do second city or IO, like you do any of the improv theaters and you go through their training program, the way to kind of like fast track you to like getting in an ensemble and performing on stage is if you know musical improv, because really? it's like a really, it's like a really good performer skill to have because like it's a very sellable thing people like want to go see musical improv and so like if you're already trained in that they'll be like okay we want to have that person in the ensemble because they already know how to do musical improv definitely it's good for your improv resume yes for sure yeah basically okay noted i mean, <laughs> I mean it's fun it's just a shame that it's so hard <laughs> but i love that you're doing that and you looked so happy doing it so that was great oh, to see thank you Thank you so much for Thank your time. You. Thank you so much for doing this, Riley. This is so lovely. I love talking to you. Oh, well, likewise. <laughs> I love you so much. You've been such a big part of I my... I hope I use the microphone correctly. I guess I'll find out when we listen to it later. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, you've been so helpful and friendly to me, and I so appreciate you. And I feel like I've really gotten to know you now since luckily I met you early on. So it's been so great to get to know you. Seriously. Likewise. Likewise. Entirely. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I'll see you on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> see you at the jam. <laughs>